You can be seated. We're going to test that theory out. He won't fail. Because <laughs> it's going to have to be him today. As you already heard, I am not Pastor Paul. Uh, this is not my thing. Um, he is actually at home. He's got a serious case of the man flu. I can identify with that. He is not able to roll, in, roll out, out of bed unassisted, let alone speak a sermon when you have the man flu. So I am stepping in. Uh, bear with me. Uh, I'm a trustee at Golfside. If we don't know each other, I've been, my family and I have been coming here for the better part of the past five plus years. Uh, my beautiful wife, Ashley, is our administrator. So if you do have any uh, complaints or corrections on today's service, just drop it in the box in the back. She'll take it out later, um, and then we'll all be good to go for our Sunday. So in all seriousness, though, it's such an honor and a privilege to be up here uh, in front of you all. I've been asked a couple of times in the past to either share or to do different things at church, and each time I get asked, I I feel uh, inadequate because um, I grew up in a church. I was saved when I was about eight in one of our children's programs, and I was blessed to really be raised in that church. And through that time, um, what I saw around me were these giants of the faith. Uh, I I remember seeing our pastors that we had, our elders, uh, the members of the board, deacons, deaconesses, and these people were just incredible. The way they loved on one another, the way they served one another, the way they spoke with just such tremendous conviction about their faith or their testimony and what God had done in and through them. I always felt like I, I don't measure up to that. That standard was always set so high in my mind. Um, But if God's taught me one thing in uh, my walk and in my participation uh, in various church things over the years, he's taught me that every single time I'm inadequate, he shows up as more than adequate. So that's what I'm counting on today. I'm also counting on you for a little bit of participation at least. So every once in a while, throw an amen in there. I don't care if it's in the right spot or wrong spot, doesn't really matter. At least I know somebody's listening. See, perfect. So that will be great, and we'll get through it, but uh, God's going to move. God is great. He moves. No matter who's up here, it's him talking. That's what I've been praying about the last day or so uh, to figure out what I'm supposed to be saying up here is that it will not be my words, but his, and that's what we're going to jump in and do. So I'm going to start off with prayer, and even though he just prayed, I'm going to do a double dose of prayer for us. So dear God, please just use me as your vessel. Um, I don't care if they remember anything that I say. I pray that they would remember what you put on their hearts today. Uh, Let us be open to hear from your word. Let us take that and let us act on it to impact the lost and the hurting in our community and in our church. We praise you and thank you and give you all the glory. Amen. All right, so we're in a series called We Are the Church. Uh, Last week, Pastor Paul kicked us off, and he shared with us that a healthy, growing, and vibrant church is only possible if we're devoted to the things of God, things like fellowship, like caring for others, reaching the lost, reaching the needs uh, in our community. He also reinforced that the level of our intensity in being devoted to those things should at the very least match, if not exceed, our level of devotion to other things. And he and he took a little jab at those of us that are intense sports fans. Um, I don't have like a little slogan or a really cool theme to shout out like I would if I were at an Ohio State game, OH. Um, Thank you. But 
I understood where he was coming from because I got to tell you, I was watching the Ohio State game yesterday and the first half of that game, I was absolutely miserable. And it's amazing how by the second half of the game, when they were up comfortably, my entire attitude had changed. It's like somebody had just given me a a gift or a present. Uh, But that's what he was talking about last week is that same thing, how that impacted me in a moment watching a sports team that I have literally zero to do with uh, their success or failure, how that impacted me for the rest of the day is a little bit of an example of when we're talking about being devoted to the things of God, those things should be on our mind. Those should be the things that are impacting our, our attitudes, our emotions, our happiness, or our sorrow. And so that's what he kicked us off with last week. We're going to build on that now. We're going to continue to expand on the definition of what does it mean to be the church. So today's title is The Church is a Gathering. So to get into it, the first thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to just break down what does this uh, mean to be a gathering? So the definition of a gathering, if we put it up on the screen, is an assembly or meeting, especially a social or festive one, or one held for a specific purpose. Uh, and then it had actually in the definition these quotes that I loved, it said a family gathering. The reason why I really, really like that is because when I think of the church I don't think of a bunch of strangers that come together on a Sunday, Um, some throw up their hands, some don't when we sing, some listen, some run out. I think of a family, and that's because that's the example I grew up with. So I actually came from a not-so-great family. Uh, I may look like I have it semi-sort of together now, but that definitely was not the case in my childhood home. My parents got divorced when I was roughly 10 I bounced around between mom and dad, lived in a bunch of different houses, duplexes all around this area. There's probably not a part of Cape Coral or Norfolk Myers that we didn't live growing up. Uh, Both parents had their own problems with drugs or abusive relationships or any number of things. And so my family home life was pretty much a wreck. When I think of my family growing up, when I think of all the great memories that I have from my childhood, Almost every one of them had to do with my church family. When I walked through the doors of that church, I felt like that was my family. There were specific people that really stepped in and played the role of mom or dad at different points in my life, played the role of example. I mentioned some of those giants that I saw in my church. My grandparents really gave the most steadfast example I could ever have of what it meant to be a man or a woman of God that really serves others, lives out their faith, serves the, everyone around them, participates in the church family. But then there were others within the church family that just when I needed them would step out and really step in. One of them was Pam Moberly. So this woman was a youth leader for me when I was growing up in, in, over at North Shore. And Pam, it didn't matter where we lived, whichever part of north, south, east, west, Cape Coral we moved to, every single week without fail, she'd get in her van, she'd come pick me and my younger brother up, she'd stop in a couple other spots to pick up random other youth group uh, members, bring us to church and make sure that we were there, and then take us home every single evening right after youth group. Beyond that, she knew for me specifically some of what we went through at home, and so her doors were always open. 
She'd welcome me over to have a meal because she knew we didn't have a lot of food. She'd let me mow their lawn. She had kids of her own that could have mowed her lawn, but she knew I didn't have any money. So I'll give you a couple bucks, come mow my lawn. Her and her husband, Rich, would just be there, just showing love and care and compassion because she knew that that's what I needed at that moment. And then there was Tom and Lori Fox, another couple that just showed an interest in me. They weren't necessarily youth leaders. They weren't as active as Pam was with the entire youth group, but they saw that there was a need and they, they looked for ways to meet it. I was relatively good in school, but there was times where I either needed to use a computer and rather than having to go like the public library and do it, they'd say, come on over to my house, use our computer. They wouldn't care if I accidentally fell asleep on their couch and spent the night because I didn't really want to go home. They just provided that. Again, Being the family is part of what we are at church and what we're supposed to be as a church. And so those were my examples. And so when I really think about we as the church as a family, it's we're brothers and sisters. We're not meant to be disconnected. We all have a common bond. We've all been called to be sons and daughters of God. And so how they cared for me is how I view us as a church family when we get together, whether it's Sundays or throughout the week, is that we're all part of one body. We're all part of one big family. Now, when we get together, the definition I know said for potentially a social or festive occasion, and those things are fun too, uh, but when we get together as a church family, especially here on Sundays, we're here for a purpose. There's a specific purpose for when we're called to gather, and that's what we're going to dig into now. So the first thing that I have for you is a gathering of the church family is meant to be a gathering of grace. And so there's a verse that will be on the screen, Philippians 1.7. It says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So in this case, Paul was writing to the church in Philippi. He was encouraging them throughout the first several verses of that chapter, really praising them for their commitment to the faith, for their participation in the call. They they were active in supporting Paul throughout his ministry. Unlike some of the other churches where Paul's letters were really admonishing them and saying, like Paul knew he couldn't even count on different churches like in Corinth to help him or support him because they could barely kind of even focus on their own faith. But in Philippi, he knew they were active. They would provide financial support. They would pray for Paul. They were really, really great supporters and they shared in what he called the grace of God. So when we gather in grace, we're to gather in that same uh, kind of thing that Paul had with the church of Philippi. So how do we share in God's grace as we gather? Now, you might be thinking, when I'm together with my family, we always share grace. We say, you know, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat, and then we go on about having our meal. It's not exactly what I mean here, although I will encourage you, continue to pray for your food. That is a great thing to do. But when we gather in grace, Paul's actually talking to them and encouraging them around primarily two things when he shares it. The first is demonstrating Jesus's grace. When we think about Jesus and the grace he shared, we think about things like undeserved kindness and forgiveness. So you read all the stories of Jesus interacting, whether he was interacting with his disciples and putting up with all of the 
really silly, dumb questions that those like Peter would ask him or how Peter would try to tell him, no, Jesus, you can't do that. And he had shown such patience and kindness as he was rebuking Peter and saying, I kind of know what I'm doing. But he also showed such great forgiveness in everyone that he interacted with. It did not matter their background. It did not matter what they did. It didn't matter if their sin was five seconds ago or five years ago. He showed the same forgiveness and love to everyone that he he interacted with. And so when we gather in grace, we want to think about the grace that is exampled in Christ Jesus and sharing that with one another, embracing that among one another as a church family. But the other thing that he talks about is the Father's love. So I know we all probably have different examples of fathers in our our life or our childhood or our upbringing. I had some bad examples and some really great examples. Some were related and some weren't related to me. But what I know we also have, if we've studied the word at all, if we have rested in God or, or experienced God at all, we know that the Father's love that we're talking about is an unending, patient, kind, and pursuing kind of love. And I, thank you, I put, uh, I put pursuing in all caps because that to me is the thing that stands out the most. We know God's love will never end. We know it will never fail. We just sung about it. But God's love is also a, a love of pursuit. As I think about my walk with Christ and through, through the years, there have been times where now I can look back and I can see that he dropped a specific person right in my path. And it was so that I would look to him or that I would recognize what was going on so that I would experience him. He didn't wait for me to turn around. He didn't wait for me to start running back to him. He was active and pursuing me and still continues to pursue me even to today. And so when we think about gathering in grace, it's about, yes, showing love and compassion and forgiveness and kindness and patience to one another. God, if we could show one another a little bit more patience sometimes, that would be amazing. But it's about also pursuing one another in the faith. We know that we all struggle. We know that, you know, there's some people in our our church family that maybe are having a hard time. What is stopping us from pursuing them and the love that we have for them so that you might be a reflection of the Father's love in their life in that moment? That's what we're called to do when we get together. So the second purpose that we have when we're gathering is is a gathering of healing. So James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Participating in prayer over the needs of one another is one of the surest ways that we can uh, ensure that our dependence on God is crystal clear. I've been praying over the last 24 hours to say, God, please put me in the right spot because otherwise this is not going to work at all. I, I had to put myself on my knees, put him in his position, and fully, wholly depend on him to move in our congregation today. Because if I depend on myself, it's not going to be pretty. But that's what we do when we pray together. We just, just the very act of going to God in prayer is an act of obedience. It's an act of showing him to say, God, I know you're in control. 
I've tried to do it myself in many cases, but I'm going to come to you and I'm going to lay it at your feet and I'm going to trust that the result that you have for me is going to be the one that I need. Now, it's tricky because it's certainly a surefire way, bringing your request to God is a surefire way to being healed, but the healing you receive may not be the healing you prayed for. So we've certainly experienced that in our lives. One of the the clearest examples to me was just over a year ago, uh, we were fostering a, a, a little baby named Gio, and we were in a really difficult court case. Uh, it had been looking like it was going one direction, and all of a sudden took a left-hand turn, and it was going in a complete opposite direction. So I remember that Sunday, me and Ashley, we came up front for prayer with our amazing prayer team, and all of our thoughts around the prayer were, Pray that the the judge would change their mind. Pray that they would see just how bad of a decision this is for Geo. Pray that, you know, move mightily and change the outcome of where we're heading now. And so our prayer team prayed for us, and they prayed for some of those things, but I vividly remember one of them also praying for a changing of hearts. He prayed that our hearts would change that Gio's family members' hearts would change and that God would move. And I could tell you now, a year later, God didn't change the course of that court case. It went the direction we didn't want it to go. Uh, Gio got reunited with his uh, biological parents. But boy, did we get the healing that was prayed for. Our hearts were softened. Their hearts were softened. Because of that, we have a relationship with Gio's mom. Because of that, we still get to visit. We still get to see him, participate with him. We're going to potentially get to keep him over Christmas. I would have never imagined that this time last year. But because we were faithful, because we came down and prayed, and because our prayer team was faithful to pray for the right things, God moved. We were healed in a completely different way than we were, we were being asked. But that's what happens. That's what happens when we trust God, when we come together, when we act as a family, when we pray for healing and we give it up to God. So that's just one example. I'm sure you have many more. I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, trust in, trust in God in a way that you haven't. Come down, receive prayer, and see what God can do in your life. See what type of healing he can provide you. So then the final purpose when we gather together is a gathering of mission. So in Galatians, it says in 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. So in the early chapters of Galatians, Paul's writing about living in the freedom that we have in Christ, which is awesome. We're free from sin. We're free from the law. We're no longer in chains. But then he hits him with this haymaker. Don't misuse your freedom. The freedom isn't so that you can just go on sinning and do whatever you want without any consequence. The freedom isn't for you to go on not sinning and just sit around and enjoy the rest of your life until you get to heaven. The freedom is so that you then will have the freedom to serve one another in love. That's what we're called to do with our freedom. So what happens when the church serves one another in love? 
Well, the first thing that happens is that the unsaved people all around us take notice. They're always watching. If you don't realize that already, I'm sure you do, but unsaved people all throughout your lives, as soon as they know you're a Christian, they start watching. Now, in their minds, in many cases, they're watching for you to falter, or they're watching for you to be a hypocrite so they can call you out, or they're watching to see that you do the same bad things they do so that it justifies their own life. They may be watching for all of those reasons, and we give them plenty of ammunition because we do all of those things. But the great thing is, is that as they're watching for a faltering church, an unloving church, a hypocritical church, praise God, they also see an incredibly loving church. They see love on display where it has no business being. They see us reacting to situations in ways they would never understand. That's what happens when we choose to love one another, to stop worrying about arguing over different parts of the Bible or parts of our culture or parts of our political system. They see us showing the love of Christ, and I guarantee you they will take notice. So that's the first thing that happens when we serve one another in love and we put it on display for the world to see. Lives are changed, the lost recognize it, and they come knocking and God starts moving. Second thing that happens when we're serving one another in love is that the next generation of the church sees it. I told you about Pam my grandparents, so many giants in my church growing up, I took notice of how they lived, what they did. I may never measure up to the pedestal that I put them on, but because of the way that they lived, it gave me an example of how I should live. It encourages me today that I still have growth to, go, to, to make. But if that example had been different, if I had lived and grown up in a different church that didn't show love or didn't, didn't share their testimony or didn't care about the lost, I wouldn't be doing those things either because that's the example that I have. You're that example, whether you like it or not. Your kids, your grandkids, other people's kids are watching you and they're going to follow you one way or another. So if we lead them in a life of selfishness, of looking out for our own interests, of short fuses and giving up on relationships because they did me one way that I didn't really care too much about, that's the adults they're going to grow into. If we give them an example of love that makes no sense, of forgiveness and patience and kindness and goodness, of pursuing others outside of the church, that's the type of church we'll leave behind. That's what the next generations will then model. So when we're gathering together in mission, we need to think it's not just for the here and now, it's not just for the people around me, it's also for my kids. My wife and I, as I mentioned, are foster parents. What I didn't tell you is how we got to be foster parents. So she has always had something like that in mind and something that she was interested. She would bring it up time and time, time over time. And I could usually stiff arm it away. We had four kids of our own. We don't really need any more. Our clock is ticking. We don't need to reset that timeline. 
But she came to us, or came to me again and asked about it. And so I started thinking about it and praying about it. And when I truly sat down and and at least opened up the notion to, to God to say, okay, is this something you really are calling us to do? It was pretty simple. All he did was bring to mind all the foster parents that I had. Each and every one of those people were a foster mom or foster dad. I could not have survived without it. And so the second he started putting those names in my head of Pam Moberly, of Kathy Snyder, Tom and, Tom and Lori Fox, I was like, okay, I get it. I'm in. Let's do it. Because of that, our son Asher is now in a safe home. Because of that, even Gio had a beautiful home for two years and now is back with his family and we have an opportunity to continue to love on him. Because of that, other lives are happening. That's not because of us. It's because of the example that was set for us that made it just impossible for us to resist that, that calling. So that's what we have the, the blessing and again, the ultimate responsibility of doing is demonstrate to the next generation how we want them to love how we want them to love within the church and outside of it. Band, you can come on up. We're going to wrap up here. But I just wanted to share with you all those things because our actions, what we do, is going to reverberate for generations. The church that we build here, the church that we, we choose to be, is going to have a massive impact on lives that we know, and on a lot of lives that we may never even have an idea of. But it's a choice we've got to make. Are we going to be a family, or are we going to be a bunch of disjointed people? Are we going to gather for a purpose, or are we just going to run in and out the doors? Can we show grace to one another? Can we show love? Can we gather in mission? So we're going to wrap up with those three key points. And each time you see the words, we are the church, I need a little bit of participation. I need you to say we are the church, okay? So can we just show that we are the church so we can practice? We are the church. All right. So again, as the church, we gather in grace. Because when we do that, Jesus' grace and the Father's love reaches those who need it most. Because... When we gather in healing, God's power is on display as hearts, lives, and bodies are restored. Because, and finally, when we gather in mission, the lost are saved, our children and grandchildren follow in our footsteps. We're not just an assembly or meeting. We aren't here for social hour or just a party. We're a family, the literal sons and daughters of God. And we're called to gather for his purpose because, all right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful that you've called us, Lord, into a fellowship and into a family that is one with you. I just pray that you would so move in our church, God, that we would be overflowing with love and with compassion and with joy, God, and with purpose so that everyone around us would see that golf side is the church. We're your church, God, where you move. 
we give you all the glory and all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. And we praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise as we wrap up.